Off Me Block Book 3 Done and Dusted Chapter 5 Hello Goodbye It's five o'clock in the morning. I've been talking, sorry, listening to Tommy for over four hours. In all that time, he's only had two pints. He sips at them as though they were tea, too hot to drink. He's as fresh as a daisy, whereas I'm starting to wilt. I'm delighted when a staff member approaches us and politely asks us to call it a night. It's been a long day, an even longer night. My head is reeling from Tommy's stories. It's inconceivable that so much could happen to one individual in such a short space of time. But then again, it's Tommy Costello, and the rules never seem to apply to him. Come on, pal, he says shortly after the barman asks us to leave. I've a jar or two up in me sweet if you fancy another. My heart sinks. At that point, all I wanted to do was sleep. But still, as is his way, he has me hooked, and he's reeling me in with a story. You're sweet, I ask. No half measures for the talent, he says, flashing me that devil smile of his. Donny worked it into the contract with this crowd and sure why not? You saw that room tonight, didn't you? Bleeding jammer so it was and them only throwing the moolah over the bar. His suite is a penthouse on the south side of the hotel. It even has its own private lift. Going up in the world, pal, he says as we rode up to his room. The suite is brightly lit and quite cool despite the balmy night. Just inside the living room, there's a large table filled with fresh fruit, cold drinks and various other treats which may take his fancy. Come on, pal, I'll give you that grand tour. We spend a few minutes walking around as Tommy rabbits on about the 70-inch plasma screen that comes out of the bed, the fridge that talks to him when he opens it and how fluffy the bathrobes are. As we enter the bedroom, I'm intrigued to see a host of feminine accoutrements which have no right being there, unless, of course, Tommy's mysterious fiancée is there too. The bed is tossed but empty. She's not here, so don't be gawking, you nosy bollocks. Come on, we'll sit out on the balcony. Is a stout all right for you? The sun is rising as we settle ourselves at the table out on the balcony. So, I ask him, am I ever going to meet the lucky lady? Are you going to tell me any more? Impatient little fucker, aren't you? I shrug my shoulders and smile. She'll be here soon enough. She had to go back up to Dublin to sort out a few things. Anyways... As I was saying to you before, that culture gone being moved us. There I was, sitting in Mickey D's, and myself and herself got to talking as we munched on our burgers. Turned out we'd a load of things in common. She had me in total stitches that night, and after we'd finished our bit of grub, we went for a walk down along the Liffey. We got some coffees and sat on a bench by the river. We just sat there, smoked fags and chatted. We just, you know, kind of clicked. We couldn't stop nattering away to each other, so much so that before we knew it, the sun was coming up. We swapped phone numbers and I flagged down a taxi for her and sent her on her way with the promise that I'd give her a buzz to arrange going to the flicks or a drink the following Friday night. Well, Jesus, I bleeding well skipped all the way back up to Tara Street Station, so happy was I with how a whore of a night had torn up roses for me. After waiting for over an hour for one, I talked about her all the way home on the train. Those eyes, that figure, I couldn't wait to see her again. Here, I'm getting ahead of myself. Anyways, we were back rehearsing on the Monday morning, and as I might have guessed, given what had happened between myself and Jimmy in the limo, there was aggro. Myself, Buddy, and the orchestra were there bright and early, and with bells on, only raring to go. 
to ease us into the circuit, to warm us up to perform together like Donny had arranged for us to do a one hour show in a hotel out on the M50. We were delighted to hear this and couldn't wait to get going. There was no sign of the Jimmy lad by half nine, so we couldn't start with the actual rehearsing. Instead, we set about drawing up a set list for the gig while Donny went off to try and get a hold of the other fella. He came back a little while later with a face on him like a slapped arse. What's wrong, says I. Don't get me started, says he. I fucking well knew this would happen. Knew what, says Buddy, shifting uncomfortably on his feet. Jimmy's reputation precedes him, Buddy. You above all people should know that. What do you know, says I, looking to the couple of lads from the orchestra who'd been in the car with us and wondering if Donny knew about the other lads' fondness for the owl baby powder. Jimmy's renowned for being unreliable, Tommy. Anyone I spoke to about him in the business when I was getting this together told me so. He'd be late for his own fucking funeral. So he didn't know. Buddy just stared at the floor. He knew full well what was going on. They'd been working together for years until their last Dino popped his clogs a few years back. He knew Jimmy had a problem. I kept me trapped shut and said nothing. Well, an hour or so later, the other lad finally showed his face, and boy, Jesus, he looked dead rough. His eyes were out on stalks. You could hide basketballs in the fucking bags beneath them, and he was as jittery as fuck. I don't think Donny was wise to any of it. He was just glad that he turned up eventually. Buddy got him a cup of coffee, and after another little while, we were ready to get cracking, but it wasn't for long, mind you. The first song we rehearsed for the Saturday night was actually to be the last song of the night. After the three of us had played our individual parts, we'd all take to the stage to one final number, Bear to the Blues. So, Jimmy took the lead into it and then myself and Buddy joined in with him. So we're there giving a gusto when Jimmy makes a balls of it. Buddy kept going. I stopped. The fucker was miles off key at this stage. I just stood looking at him till he stopped singing. What are you looking at, says he? you says i i'm hardly looking at him now am i you're the one that made a bollocks of it buddy shook his head and walked away a little bit from us and you'd be the fucking expert now would you says he listen pal says i i don't need a degree in music to know that you're about as far off key as the screams of a donkey with a hot poker up its hole you made a bollocks of it plain and simple pal oh excuse fucking me says he do you hear the dips of over there the bastard, I told him my fucking problems and confidence. What did you fucking call me, says I? You heard me. Say it again, says I, fucking fuming, so I was. He took a few steps towards me, but I didn't budge. I wasn't letting the fucker get the better of me. You're a washed up has-been of a dipso, and what you bring to this act I could fart out in me sleep. I've more talent in me little finger, pal, says he. Is that right, says I, and how would you squeeze it in there what with all the muck you were snorting on Saturday night, you fucking cokehead gobshite? At that, Donny looked up from his paper. What, says he, who's doing gear? The Jimmy lad's face dropped. Is that right, Jimmy, are you doing drugs, says he? No, says Jimmy, that bald-faced fucking liar. Yes, he is, says I, like a fucking anteater, so he was in the back of the car the other night, and I bleeding well told him there'd be none of it in the band. You're a fucking liar, says he, taking another step towards me. Oh, am I, says I, and I just imagined that it was like Santa's fucking magic palace with the amount of snow flying around the place, did I? Buddy, tell him, will you? Buddy wouldn't look at me. He kept his eyes on the floor. I looked to the two lads from the orchestra, but the two of them wouldn't look back at me either. The pair of fuckers. Looks like it's your word against ours, said Jimmy, a smarmy grin spreading from ear to ear. I suppose it is, Jimmy, I suppose it is. 
And I'm sure you won't mind emptying your pockets then, you know, just to prove to Donny that, you know, cleaner than a nun's gusset. His face dropped. What? He roars. Donny, ask him to turn out the old focus there, will you? This is a load of shites, see, I don't have to answer to you. That's true, says Donny, but you do have to answer to me. If you have nothing to hide, there shouldn't be a problem. Well, I was only delighted when he said that, because I was fast losing control of the situation, and I could see myself getting the boot from the act, and from Donny's calf too, and over me dead body was I going to let that happen. I'm not, says your man, I won't. I don't have to put up with this. Listen to me, Jimmy, says Donny. I put up with enough of that shite back in the 80s. I watched great talent turn their brains to dust on that crap. Now, like I said before, if you have nothing to hide, you shouldn't have any problem emptying your pockets. Who the fuck do you think you are, Roar Jimmy? Me boss or something? I don't have to answer to you. As long as you're in this act, on my payroll. Yes, I am your boss, says Donny. I don't fucking well need this. Fuck you and fuck your payroll. And then turning to me, he says, and fuck you, you scaldy dipso. I didn't flinch. There's the door, says Donny. Get your stuff and fuck off. And take your druggy crap with you, says I, throwing in me tuppence worth. Well, Jesus, the next thing I see is a blur, and I've no time to get out of the way. He might have been in a jocker and bleary-eyed as fuck, but he wasn't going to miss the opportunity. In a heartbeat, he had his mic stand over his head, and he swung it down at me with all the power he could muster. I got me arm up just in time, otherwise I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you. Well, you'd want to hear the sickening crack of me bone splintering. Mother of Jesus! The bleeding agony of it. It wasn't as bad as the pain of me arse gash, but it came in a close second, I can tell you. For the umpteenth time in me scourge of a life, I went to the floor like a spilled bucket of water, screaming me brains out, so I was. The other lad stood over me, taunting me, that bastard. You had that coming, says he, you jumped up little wanker. I couldn't tell him where to go, the pain was that much. I just lay there whimpering, clutching me shattered arm like a baby. The other lad grabbed the stuff, cursed myself and Donny from a height and left, followed very shortly afterwards by Buddy, the sleeving fuck of a bollocks. Well, says Donny, that's the kings of cool over and done with. I'm rolling around on the floor in agony, but I'd enough sense to put the brakes on the end of me comeback. Through gritted teeth, says I. Hang on a minute there, Donny. Cool the bleeding jets, will you? It's not over. Of course it is, says he. We've no Sinatra, no Sammy D. It's, you've still got a Dino, says I. And if you'll have me, if you want to, well, can't we just carry on with the king of cool? Just with me, like. Jesus, that's not a bad idea, Tommy. Not a bad idea at all. I'll cancel the gig on Saturday, and Donny, says I, do me a favour, would you? As soon as you get off the blower to the hotel, will you bring me to the hospital? I reckon that fucker's after breaking me bleeding arm. As sure as shite he broke it, in two fucking places, the bastard. It took a spotty-faced runt of a student doctor all of an hour, eight x-rays and a good ten or eleven swings out of me arm to tell me what I already knew. Listen here, Doogie Hauser, says I. You touch that fucking arm again, and I swear I'm going to pop you good and proper with me good one. Do you hear me? That was enough to send him running, and after half an hour spent with the sweetest smelling young one of a nurse forcing over me, I was sent on me way. Me left arm in plaster, and me right hand clammy for the want of a point, and with Dunphy's literally across the road. Sure, who was I to argue with a dry throat and a sweaty palm? Anyways... With the M50 gig now cancelled because of the other two fuckers, and given that I'd now have to draw up a whole new set list and what have you, 
I was going to be free for the weekend. By this stage, a few bob had come through to me from the social welfare, and taking that into account, I decided to give Lorraine a buzz and organise an old date with her. Sure, why not? She seemed happy enough to hear from me, thanks be to Jesus. After a phone ringing for what seemed like an age, and just as I was about to hang up and curse her from a height, she finally answered. I was only bricking it, so I was. I was convinced she was going to give me the cold shoulder. Anyways, after a bit of nervous chatter this way and that, we arranged to go for a meal down in Dalky the following Saturday night. Dinner! For God's sake, I'd only been banking on going for a couple of jars at the most, you know, to keep the owl expenses down and all like... But dinner it was. I met up with her in the King's Inn for a pre-dinner drink. Loving Jesus, there's a tenner gone already, and me with only a ton and some loose change in me pocket. Herself had a glass of white wine while I nursed a pint of stout, sipping on it as slowly as I could to help stretch it out. For dinner we went to Don Polo's, a little Italian place a bit further down the town, and I'm only sitting there in a sweat as she lists off her order to the waitress while I'm pricing everything she mentions and trying to do me sums. Sure, with her calamari starter and steak for mains, that was pretty much the guts of 40 quid gone before we had a drink, or me own bleeding meal was even ordered. In a bleeding sweat, so I was. Telling herself that I was watching me waistline, I ordered soup for me starter and a salad for me main course. A fucking salad! Me, Tommy Costello, eating poxy bleeding rabbit food and only hoping to God that she'd go off for a slash or something so that I could rob a bit of her steak. She never fucking budged. It was a nice old night for the most part, plenty of banter, and she only got the mineral water with her meal instead of the old wine, and I was delighted to be saving at least another 20 quid. We were just finishing up a bit of dessert. She had a 10 bleeding euro piece of tiramisu, and I was tucking into a couple of scoops of cheap ice cream when me phone went off. Sorry, says I, I, I won't answer. They can leave a message. The blower went off another couple of times, and each time I put my hand into my pocket and declined the call. When it went off for the fourth time, says herself, oh, I think you better answer that, Tommy. They seem to want to really get a hold of you. Jesus, sorry about this, pet, says I, taking out me phone. It was Safina's number. Me face only bleeding well lit up and me ticker went mental. I was delighted to be hearing from her. Safina, petal, how are you? I can't tell you how happy. Da, says she. Hiya, sweetheart. Da, says she again. And by the tone of her voice, I knew that there was something wrong. What? What is it, pet, says I. It's ma, says she. She's after. Ah, for Jesus' sake, what's she gone and done now? I tell you what, pet, I really don't want to get involved. Me and her are done. Finito. Da, says she, starting to sob. She's after having a stroke. It doesn't look good. Me heart froze in me chest. A stroke? Are you sure? Of course I'm sure, Dad. Why would I be messing around something like this? She's down in St. Michael's. You need to get here. For what, says I, after what she did? Da, says herself, bawling at this stage. She's in intensive care. You're being sent for. Do you know what that means? Oh, I said. Safina and the spoiler met me out in the corridor. Me poor little darling looked in bits, God love her. There wasn't a patch of colour in her face. Her eyes were red raw and there was a cake of dried snot and tears around her nose. She ran up to me as soon as she seen me and gave me the biggest, tightest hug ever. I just wished it had been under better circumstances, you know what I mean? If our L1 hadn't had the stroke, I don't think I'd have ever heard from her again. Still, despite where we were and what had happened, it was only the bizzo to have me little darling back in me arms again. What happened to your arm, da? says herself tapping the plaster. 
Don't mind that for now, Petal says I. What happened? Oh, I mean, you know, when, like? It was just after dinner, da, says Safina. She came up to us this afternoon to see the babbies. I was only delighted because I haven't seen her for weeks. For the last few months, she's kind of been, you know, withdrawn, da. We'd call down to her and she'd pretend she wasn't there, even though the car was outside. And if we'd ring our mobile, we'd hear it going off inside before she'd put it on silent. I haven't been in the house in ages, Dad. Not since the end of September, at least, or the middle of October. I practically have to beg her to come down to town to meet me for a coffee. So when she rang today and asked could she come up and see the kids, I was over the moon, Dad. Anyways, she came up in the middle of the afternoon and had a little play with the kids before saying she wasn't feeling the best and she said she was feeling dizzy. She flaked out as soon as her head hit the pillow, Dad. Anyways, when Sinjin came home, I went up and asked her to come down for a bit of the dinner. God knows she could have done with a good feed. She said she felt better and came down. She didn't eat that much, or just kind of pushed it around her plate. She was just staring out into space and not saying much either. She went to get up from the table, but she froze solid in the middle of doing that. Then one whole side of her face just dropped. Sinjin managed to catch her before she keeled over. Fair play to your son, says I to the other lad. Then she was gone, da. She just wasn't there anymore, in her head like. Her eyes were shrinking like that dot on an old telly when you turn it off. We called the ambulance and as soon as we got here, I called you and Garrett and Grandad too. Me whole pucker to nothing when she said that. Bony little runt that he was. I was still more than a little scared of the trigger happy fucker. Your Grandad's not here, is he? He won't get here till the morning. He's away with the golf society down in Trelida. Said he'd be here as early as he could. Thanks be to Jesus, I thought. Where is she now? She's in there, said the spire, pointing to a ward two doors down. Uh, uh, can I go in? We're only allowed in one at a time, da, says Safina. Uh, uh, Garrett's in there with her now. Oh, says I, maybe I'd better wait. You know, things didn't end too well with myself. And go on, da, just go in. The way things are right now, Agro's the last thing on his mind. Right so, says I. Just as I went to push the door, Garrett pulled it open and stepped out into the corridor. For a split second, I thought he was going to clock me a jab to the jaw, but he didn't. He just trung his arms around me and sobbed his bleeding heart out. It's all right, son, it's all right. Your ma's as tough as anything and she's going to be grand, you'll see. I don't think so, Da says himself. I could feel his old tears dampening me collar. Go on up to your sister, says I. I'll be out in a few minutes. I took a deep breath and walked into her little ward in the ICU. Now, I'd been expecting to see Dymphna, not the little waif of a grey-haired owl one that was lying there. She was unconscious, lying on a huge bed, tucked away over in the corner of the room, all sorts of gadgets, gizmos and tubes hooked up to her. It was a punch in the throat to see her like that, I swear to you man, it really was. She'd obviously been colouring her hair for years and since the last time I'd seen her, for whatever reasons, she'd stopped doing it because there's no way she could have gotten that grey in just a few months. She'd lost weight too. A fucking pile of it. Judging by the looks of her, her old diet of late was probably more of the liquid variety if you know what I mean. I walked over and sat by her bed. I took her hand and just held it as it lay limp in me own. It was cold, frail. It was like holding hands with a wax dummy. Or a corpse. I just sat there looking at her. And I'm not ashamed to tell you. I fucking well cried me eyes out. I couldn't help it. Despite everything. All the shite. All the rows. The tantrums. The trum dishes. The shotgun. The aspirin. And even what she'd done to myself and Janine. At that very moment. With just the two of us in that room. 
none of that mattered. I was crying for that cracker of a young one I'd met all those years ago in the court hotel in Kalini. I was crying because no matter what, she was gone forever now. She was long gone. There was nothing left of her but a haggard shell. And the thought that I was, in no small part, responsible for that. Well, it fucking well killed me, so it did. Sitting there in the silence with her, I thought long and hard about how much we'd been in love. How I'd promised her the sun, the moon and the stars. I told her she'd have a big house up on the Vico Road, fame and fortune. I promised her everything and delivered nothing. I thought about how if we'd never met, she wouldn't have been lying there like that right at that moment, right at death's door. She'd have been away off somewhere else, happily married and with a clatter of kids. Instead, she was lying there dying and it was more or less all my fault. Shite isn't the word, my friend. It doesn't come close. I sat with her for ages. The kids came in and out all the time. They'd stay there until the side of their ma lying there like that would send them scurrying back out into the corridor in a flood of tears. Fair play to the owl nurses. They gave us a break and didn't get too finicky about the number of people in the room. At around about midnight, Sinjin took Safina and Garrett downstairs to get them a coffee and I said I'd stay with herself. I sat there in silence. The beeping of all the machines was the only sound. I couldn't help but think that they were like a countdown each beep down nothing but marking off whatever little time the poor old mare had left. I felt a slight squeeze on me hand and I looked up. Tommy, she said in barely a whisper, except because of what the stroke had done to her poor old face it came out as, show me. I'm here, pet, says I, rubbing her hand and trying me best to hide the fact that I was snothering again. Her face was as white as paper and those once gorgeous eyes of hers were grey and sunken back into her skull. I'm I'm, it's all right, Pet says I, don't be trying to have a natter, just get your rest, love. You're going to be grand in no time at all, says I, back on your feet and only bleeding, wrecking me, Buzz. What? I'm sorry, she said, her poor old voice even more slurred now. I'm sorry for everything. Would you go away, you old adatcher? Jesus, I'm no angel now, am I? No, I'm sorry for what I did to you and Shanine. She was finding it harder to speak with each word. And to be honest with you, I struggled to make out what she was saying. But I more or less got the gist of it. A nurse came in a few seconds after that and went about our business, checking her pulse, her eyes, marking it down on the chart. You know the drill, I'm sure. Sammy, says Dimfina, want to see the lights appear. Remember? Indeed, and I do, Petal says. Oh, indeed, and I do. Me mind shot back to the night during our first summer together that we sat at the end of the East Pier in Dunleary. All night we sat there. We smoked fags, shared a bottle of wine that I'd stroked from the bar in the court and I sang songs to her. Smoochy ones mostly. It was one of the precious few memories of the good times that we shared. The lights, Tommy. I want to see them. She was slurring even more by this stage, but in the short space of time since she'd woken up, I'd gotten the hang of what she was saying to me fairly pronto. No bother, Petal, says I. I'll get that sorted for you. I got up and went to the nurse. Excuse me, love, but uh, she wants to see the lights, you know, down the pier, like. Any chance we could move her over to the window before she, you know. I'm sorry, says herself, without so much as looking up at me or stopping what she was doing. The bed stays over there. Ah, come on now. She's dying for Jesus' sake. All she wants to do is to see the outside before she goes. What do you say? 
the heartless bitch just looked up at me, locked eyes and said, no, I, Jesus, well lost it. Listen here to me, says I, catching her by the arm and doing me best to keep me voice down. She's fucking dying for Jesus' sake. Surely you can see that for yourself. She can't be moved. You listen, right, says I, shaking her harder by the arm, not giving a flying shite if I was going to get done for assault or not. You get yourself over there. Take the brakes off that fucking bed and those machines beside it and we're going to push them all over to that poxy window so that poor old mare in the bed can see the lights down in the harbour. Right? No one leaves my dimpna in a corner. Okay, she said reluctantly. She whipped her arm away from me grip and a couple of minutes later we had the bed over by the window and your one propped it up just enough so that poor dimpna could see you. There now, that's better, isn't it, pet, says I. Beautiful. I stood beside our bed for a minute or two, the two of us silent, just staring down at the harbour lights, and no doubt both remembering the same memories. It was never about the money. Never. You were my shwami. I couldn't bear to see you. I'm sorry. I wanted you back. Stop, shh, says I. I just smiled down at her. After that, I hadn't a single word to say to her. Right, she'd gotten fed up with all of me bullshit over the years. Sure, who wouldn't have? But she'd never stopped loving me. That fucking killed, so it did. When I thought about it after, in all the time that we'd been apart, she'd never gone with another fella. Never. Not even once that I knew of in any ways. Seeing me with Janine must have made her feel the way I did when I thought that she and Larry the Leg had hooked up. Sure, it's no wonder she did what she did if she was still feeling like that. We just stared at each other for a while. Holding hands, me rubbing the back of hers with me tongue. Sing it for me, Tommy. One more time. Barely a whisper. She was struggling to breathe, struggling to speak. Jesus, how could I refuse? Lonely as a desert breeze, I may wonder where I please, I sang. She squeezed me hand the whole time. We sang in barely a whisper, the tears only streaming down me face. This would be. A magic world to me, if she were mine, alone. Jesus, man, I barely managed to finish it. I couldn't catch me breath with all the snottering I was doing. Just as I sang the last line, as though that's all she'd been waiting for, she squeezed me hand harder, and then she was gone. Jesus, man, me heart broke. As much to my surprise as yours, I can tell you. Now, if you'd asked me a year ago what me greatest desire was, I'd have told you without hesitation nor fear of reprisal that it would be to do river dance on her grave. But not now. Not that night, I mean. Jesus, man, all the times I could have fixed it. All the times I called her every cursing name under the sun. Every time I'd wished the curse of fuck on her. It all came back to me as poor old infant breathed her last. I gave her a kiss and for what it was worth, told her I was sorry. And then I went out to tell the kids. Garrett was out in the corridor, standing stock still, so he was. She's, isn't she? Yes, son, she's gone. I'm sorry. The poor little bollocks collapsed into me arms, and after I managed to get him to pull himself together, we went down to tell poor Safina. I'm telling you now, I'd put me Mickey through a mincer before I do that again. She went to ribbons with the crying, so she did. There was nothing I could do but hook the two of them and tell them that it was all going to be all right. They got even worser when we went back upstairs to see her. Poor El Safina had to be dragged off her in the end. Hysterical so she was. 
I was getting more and more worried as they got more and more upset. I was full sure that they were going around on me and blame me for everything. But they didn't, thanks be to God. They still haven't, in fairness to them. The nurses let us stay with her for a little while. We just sat there, none of us saying a word. The noise of those poxy machines replaced now by our sniffles and whimpers. They came to take her after a while, and I asked the spire to take Safina and Garrett out so that they wouldn't see their L, their ma, being put into one of those poxy aluminium coffins that they use in the hospital. Well, Jesus, he had his work cut out for him. The two of them went berserk when he tried to separate them from her. The nurses had to help him, and it wasn't until there was a Xanax in each of them that Zingan managed to get them to go downstairs to their relative's room. Once they'd gone, I asked the staff to give me a minute alone with her. It was just something I felt I had to do, you know. I stood at the end of the bed, just looking down at her and feeling like a prick. I thought of the good times we'd had all those many moons ago. She was gone now, gone for good, and I wasn't going to stain her memory by thinking of nothing but the rosy days. I can't tell you how much it messed with me head to find that I was gutted. For the best part of 20 years, I'd hated her. And I mean fucking hated her. And never more so than after what she did to me the night of the grandkids' christening. I had called her every name under the sun. I'd wished every misery on her. I'd cussed her with every drunken breath I ever drew. And now that she was brown bread, it all just seemed like a waste of time. Do you know what I mean? Anyways. I stayed with her for a while. You know how it is, talking to a corpse as though the poor fucker can hear you. I sniffled and snottered for another while, and for the first time since I was an altar boy, remind me to tell you about that later on, by the way, I said a decade of the rosary, and then gave her a kiss goodbye. Mind you, I gave her foot a good fucking pinch before I left, you know, just to be sure, like. She was buried on the following Wednesday morning out there in Shangana Cemetery in Shankill, with a lovely view of the sea and the mountains, not that the poor thing could see it. The kids wanted me to sing Ave Maria in the church, but our culty fuck of an owl lad was having none of it, so we hired some queer one to do it. Oh, I can't say I blame him, really. Can't say I was surprised either. He'd missed his own great-grandkids christening, for Jesus' sake, just because he still had a gripe with me, that bollocks. Mind you, the dimflin' one had begged him not to come to it, because she knew that there would have been hassle if he had. Either that... Or she didn't want him there in case he'd fucked up our plans for that night. No, I was happy just to blend into the crowd. I'd have looked like a right hypocrite now, there singing over her coffin, giving all the shit I'd put her through down through the years. Poor Safina had to struggle to get through her reading, and fair play to young Garrett. He did his ma proud with the little talk he gave about her. That fucker had us bawling, then laughing, and then Jays as well bawling again. Things were going grand. In so far as a funeral can go, I suppose, given that her side of the family were none too keen on my being there. It only started to get frosty when it came time to, you know, lower her down. Her old lad, who'd thrown more daggers at me than a midget in a circus all morning, really started to glare at me. Now, I'm talking Medusa here. It's like the bollocks was trying to kill me with his staring. Then his brother, Dimpin' his Uncle Frank, who'd never even bothered his hole to come near her all her life, chimes in on the act and starts at it too. And all the while, as the priest said the blessing over the grave, and then right through PAA's you, I'm keeping a good eye on the pair of them, fully convinced that at any minute they're going to barrel over and batter the living shite out of me. Her old lad scared me even more than he used to do. 
Ever since Dimfna's ma popped a while ago, he had hit the gargle. And from what Safina had told me, he was only lamping the antidepressants out of it. A bad combination for anyone holding a grudge or a shotgun for that matter. Anyways, after it was all done and dusted, I was standing over by Safina's car having a blast of a smoke while the kids did the rounds with the relatives. Up walks the other pair of pricks to me. All smiles and there you are out of them. Our old lad put his hand out to me and there's me thinking, what in the name of Jesus is going on like? Tommy, says he as he took me hand. Jer says, I, I'm really sorry for you. The fucker's face changed in a heartbeat and for the skinny little weediness of him, he's only fucking crushing the bones in me hand. Listen to me, butcher boy. My babby's six feet under now and I've no doubt in me mind that you're to blame for it. Now, myself and Frank here would love to do that baiting the shite out of you. But given the day and all that's in it, well, it's neither the time nor the place. Ah, here now, says I. Myself and Dimfna were kaput fucking years ago. You can't go blaming him. Shut your wish, says he. I'm not finished. He's not finished, the other fucking Amadon chips in. Shut your wish, or I'm telling Dimfna on you. What? Says I. You'll tell Dimfna? You even know where you are, you fucking gobshite. Some of your cornflakes are soggy, pal. Shut up, you fucking gobshite, says our owl lad to Frank, before turning to me. Now, we're going out to the Ardmore for the jar and something to eat. Don't you fucking dare show your face. Do you hear me? Ah, come on now, Jerry. That's a bit extreme, don't you think? Do you not think it's time? You show up, says he, and I'll fucking well pull the trigger this time around. Do you hear me? Uh, enough said. I was going nowhere near the place. Well... Not sober in anyways. Himself and his idiot brother fucked off just as Safina and Sinjum were coming over to the car. What was all that about that? Ah, nothing, hun. Just catching up is all. Yeah, right, says she. Was Granda starting at him? No, he wasn't. Would you go way out of that? He bleeding well knows better than to try. So are you coming back to the pub, da? I don't think so, pal. I think it's best if we move on. He's after saying something, isn't she? Says Safina. I'll fucking well kill him. What did he say on today of all days? He didn't say anything, Petal. He just asked me how I was doing. That's all, I swear. It'll be awkward for everyone if I'm there. It's better if I don't go. Ah, come on, Dad. You were married to her for, for a lot shorter a time than I wasn't, says I. And it wasn't the best of marriages, now was it? We weren't heart to heart or anything remotely like it. Just give us a lift down to the station, will you? And I'll make me own way from there. Are you sure, Da, says herself? I'm positive, sweetheart, says I. With that, Garrett and Neil came up to us and I had to go through the same whole bloody rigmarole with them too. I managed to convince a lot of them that it was better that I wasn't anywhere near their granda on that day of all days. We arranged to meet up a few days later. Just the three of us like. We could go out to the cemetery and then go for a jar ourselves. As they were heading out that way, they dropped me at Bray Dart Station and went on their way. I was waiting there for ages, and the goo for a gargle was getting harder to resist by the minute. Sure, before I knew anything about it, I was in a boozer around the corner, getting locked out of me face. I wasn't happy. I wasn't sad. I was just numb. Do you know what I mean, pal? Me head was wrecked. I didn't know if I was coming or going. All the shite from the last few months... Actually, all that had happened since the night of the babby's christening came piling down on me as I swamped point after point. And before I knew it, I found I was crying into me stout for Jesus' sake. And I didn't really know why. I was empty. Totally fucking empty. 
and now that Dymphna's clogs had been popped, it seemed like all of that was over. All of it. Everything like. Meeting herself had changed the run of me life, no bleeding doubt about it, man. She changed it in more ways than I care to remember, and now that she was gone, there was a fucking huge hole in me life. It nearly killed me with the laughing when I copped on to what that hole, what that bleeding emptiness was. I downed a good six or seven points when it finally dawned on me. That emptiness, that hole was there because the hate was gone. Plain and simple, easy as that. For almost 30 years, I'd cursed her and wished her nothing but the ugliest of miseries with me every breath. And now, now that she was dead, well, there was nothing left to hate. Nowhere to direct me ire, if you like. I was free. Do you know what I mean? I felt like a new bleeding man. No disrespect to the infant one, like, but her dying actually freed me. It changed me, and for the better, I hope. All this was running through me brain when me phone went off on the bar beside me. It was Garrett. He was more than half cut and a little more than bollocks from the day's whinging he'd been doing. How are you, da? says he. Are you at home? I am in me bollocks, sure. I never even got out of Bray, for God's sake. So you're still around, says he. More or less. Why, do you, you want to meet me for a jar? No, no, we're heading back to Grandas for a jar. If you fancy it. I will in me bollocks as I cutting them off. Are you looking to start World War Bleeding Tree or something? Sure, Jesus, he'd go mental if I was so much as to step foot in the place. No, he won't, da. Sure, he's three sheets to the wind at this stage, and I bet you that he'll be home no more than five minutes and we'll be tucking him in for the night. Come on, da. Please, come up. Now, I'd enough gargle in me to make a stupid mistake, but not so much as to not realise it. Listen, son, says I, there's nothing more than I'd love than to be there with yourself and your sister tonight. But I'm telling you now, it would only kick off big time if I was to land up there now. We'll go for a few jars over the weekend. Just me and you. What do you think? Yeah, all right, I suppose, says he. Good lad, says I. I'll give you a buzz tomorrow, son, right? We can talk then. Feeling proud of myself for having the sense to stay put and not go throwing fuel on the fire, I went back to me gargle. A few points and two Bacardis later, I found myself stumbling up our old lad's garden path. Garrett was outside with Neil having a smoke, and I have to tell you, it did me heart proud to see his face light up when he seen me. Up he comes to me, grinning like a Cheshire cat. Da, da, you came up fair play to you. I, I, I won't stay for long, son. Is the coast clear? Says I, looking past him for any signs of that gun-toting granda of his. Yes, it is. Sure, he was locked, so he was. On the whiskies all day, da, he'd no more than a mouthful of Guinness when we got back here and he was out like a light. We had to drag him up to bed, so we did, didn't we, Neil? He'll be dead to the world till tomorrow lunchtime. Uh, uh, what about Frank, says I. He's gone ages, so he is, says Neil. Uh, and who's in there now? Well, there's us two, Safina and Sinjin, a few of the second cousins and a handful of the neighbours. Come on in, da, I'll get you a jar. Thanks for coming, you're a fucking star bar, da. He nearly broke me bleeding neck with the hug he gave me. And dad, you know what? I'm glad that we're all back talking and all. I, I wish we'd done it sooner. It's terrible that it took something like this for it to happen. Sure, aren't we talking? That's the main thing, says I. Yeah, I know, he says. I just wanted to tell you that I'm sorry for what I said to you that morning in your kitchen. Oh, I didn't mean it, you know that, don't you? I know, son, says I, and the same goes for myself. It's just that I was so pissed off with you, says he. 
I really loved Janine, really I did. And to think that you were going, listen, son, let's not go back on all of that, all right? Me and your ma squared all that away before she, well, let's just say it's all over and done with. I know, says he, I was standing in the doorway when you were talking. I left, though, when you sang her the song. Oh, that's all I could say to him, man. I'm sorry for not believing you back then. It's just that. Just what, son? Well, you have a bit of a habit of blaming anyone and everyone else, that anyone but yourself, and I just presumed. Do I now? Says I. I wasn't pissed off with him for saying it. It was just a bit of an eye-opener, really. I just wanted to say, well, it's just that. What? What Ma did was bang out of order, da, and leave it there, son, I cut across. Leave it there, will you? Your ma had her reasons for doing what she did. They weren't what I thought they were or what she said they were back then. But she had her reasons and I can't blame her. It's water under the bridge now and anyways. Da, says he. Yeah. I'm glad that you's made up before she went. I'm glad that you's were friends again. Me too, son. Me too. Never thought I'd be saying that, but there you go. Now, are you getting your old lad a gargle or what before I die from the parch of a point? After going through all the greetings and what have you with everyone inside, I got myself a seat at the table and made myself comfortable. It had been donkey's years since I'd set foot in that house. The day we moved to our own little gaff in the brack was the last time we'd been in it. Things were that sour between myself and our old lad that whenever we were invited to tea or anything, I always made sure that I was working overtime or if it was a Sunday, I'd sneak off to the boozer to get myself pissed enough so that Nymphina would leave me behind. In all the years, it hadn't changed a bit. It was still immaculate and all like, but they'd never, ever redecorated. That same poxy flowery wallpaper in the hall, the same beige carpet, the very one that I'd scrubbed dogshite out of on the first day that I'd met our own pair. Same, same, same everything. As I sat looking around the kitchen, feeling for all the world that I was in a time warp or something like that, I couldn't help but break me bollocks laughing when I copped on that I was sitting in the self-same spot where that culty prick, who was now comatose upstairs in his bed and none the wiser to me presence, had shoved his shotgun into me gob more than 30 years earlier. I'll tell you something for nothing. It was weird being back in that house without the dimfna one being there and sure with the barrel of jars inside me, I couldn't help but feel a little sentimental. The kids were pouring the stout into me like there was no tomorrow. So when Safina asked me to sing our mass song, well, I was only too happy to oblige me little sweetheart. I cleared me throat, got a few good lungfuls of air and launched into it. Mario Lanza style, you know what I mean? The neighbour ones were all loving it, so they were, swinging side to side as I sang, their sherry glasses raised in the air. The kids looked on with what I can only describe as sheer pride, big fat tears brimming in their eyes. Even the spoiler had a trickle for Jay's sake. Well, I'm only belting out the song, ready to go all tremolo on the last note, when a sound that dampened me gusted 30 years ago and did it again that night, trundled the room into total silence. The cock of your man's poxy shotgun. All eyes went to the kitchen door. I turned around slowly, and there was that scrawny bastard of a culty prick with his shotgun leveled square at me head. If it wasn't for the seriousness of me predicament, the sight of him would have had me in stitches. He was wearing a pair of scaldy jocks that were only humming for the want of an introduction to a cup or parcel, a string vest that was four sizes too big for him, and he'd only got one of his socks on. Talk about a skinny runt. He'd have made Stan Laurel look like Hulk Hogan for Jay's sake. 
but this little runt had a shot going on me, and believe me when I tell you, laughing at the fucker was the last thing on me mind. Without even realising it, I raised me hands in the air. Look, chair, says I, I'll go, all right, it's just... What did I fucking tell you today, says he. The kids invited me, I'll... My dimpin' is dead because of you. Ah, here now, says I, that's not... I should have done this 30 years ago. He put the stock of the gun to his shoulder, and when I seen the blank look come over his face, I knew that he was going to do it. I knew that this time a dirty gusset was the last of me worries. You'll have to shoot me first, Granda. Young Garrett stood in front of me. I couldn't believe it. Get out of me way, sunshine, says the jar fella. And me too, says Safina, getting to her feet and taking a stand beside her brother. Move now, the two of you, he roared. I'm not budging, Granda, says Garrett. You're locked. You're not thinking straight. The drink and your tablets are messing with your head, Granda. Me mad dying had nothing got to do with him. Now, if you want to kill him, you'll have to do us first. Come on, Granda, says Safina. Put it down, please. Get him out of me sight now, he said as he lowered the gun. I don't ever want to see him again. Old Joe Farrelly from two doors down took the gun from him and unloaded it. No sooner had he done that than when the spire sidles up beside me and the kids, the fucking coward. Bit bleeding late putting it on the line, aren't you, pal, says I, the fucking wanker. And just when I was actually starting to take a shine to him. Come on, da, let's get out of here, says Safina. She took me by the hand and flanked by herself and Garrett, and with the spire bringing up the rear, we walked out. The other prick never took his eyes off of me as we went. Just as I walked past him, and given that the gun was out of harm's way, I clocked him a cracker right on the chin. He folded like a piece of paper. That'll fucking learn you to point a gun at me, you little bag of shambles, you. He staggered to his feet and stumbled down the hall after us, cursing and shouting that things weren't done between him and me. Yeah, yeah, whatever, says I, without so much as a backward glance. I'm telling you now, Costello, one day, one day, you'll get both barrels in the chest. Yeah, right, chicken chest, I shouted back at him, feeling safer now that I was down at the garden gate and there was still no sign of the gun. I'll never step foot in that gaff again, never. Anyways, we walked out to the Bog Hall Road, flagged a taxi and we all went back to Safina's for a few more jars. I stayed there for almost a week and I'll tell you what, they were some of the best days of my life. Honestly, pal, having all that time to spend with me kids and the grandkids too, well, it was just a bizzle, so it was. If there was ever any good to be had from poor old Dimpness popping off, it was that it brought me closer to the kids than ever. And long may that last. Tommy leaves me for a minute or two. I can hear press doors opening and closing, the clink of glasses, the rustle of plastic bags coming from the sweets kitchen. It's now past ten in the morning, and having pulled an all-nighter, I'm exhausted. But there's no sign of Tommy flagging. Not even a hint of it. He's still as fresh as a daisy. I've never seen him so animated, so happy. Not even on that flight to Cyprus over two years ago when he had just come into Noel's money. He seems content now, at peace with himself and with the world around him. He emerges from the kitchen area, a tray in his hand, on top of which there's a bottle of Jameson, two glasses and some packets of crisps. Breakfast, anyone? He says before bursting into a fit of laughter. As he sets the tray on the table, I'm shocked to see that to my six cans, he's only had two. Before I can protest, he has poured me a double while only taking a single for himself, which he then tops up with water. I tried to tell him I've had enough, but he doesn't want to hear it. 
despite the fact that he's more than happy to be taking it easy himself. Jesus, pal, you're not fading away on me, are you? A young fella like it. No, 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 not at all, Tommy. I'm interrupted by the sound of the lift arriving on his floor. Ah, here she is, the belle of the ball. Hang on a second. He disappears back into the suite, leaving me alone on his balcony. I get to my feet, ready to meet Lorraine, and trying to appear as sober as possible. I can't wait to meet her, this blonde-haired, green-eyed bombshell who by all appearances has done Tommy a world of good. Well, pal, he says as he steps back out onto the balcony, here she is, the future Mrs. Tommy Costello. I'm knocked sideways when I see not a blonde, but a stunning redhead with huge brown eyes emerge from the gloom of the suite. Lovely to meet you, she says as she takes my hand. I don't mean to be rude. I wasn't expecting them to have company. It's been a long drive down from Dublin and I'm absolutely bursting. Jesus, sweetheart, says Tommy. He's not Barack Obama. What's with all the airs and graces? If you need a slash, just go ahead and have one. Excuse me, she said, her face flushing as she turned and went back inside. Who's that, I asked. That's not... That's me fiancé, pal. That's the future Mrs. C. Did she dye her hair, I asked him. What? No, she's a natural redhead. Always has been. Collars and cuffs, if you know what I mean. But you said she was blonde, Tommy. Who? Her. Lorraine. That's not Lorraine, he says. But you said L Lorraine. Ah, Jesus, he said, bursting into another fit of laughter. Sorry, man. Jesus, I'm sorry. I didn't get to that part yet, did I? That's not Lorraine. Jesus, no, not at all. No, that was over before it began, for fuck's sake. Then who's that, I ask him? Get that down in. I'll tell you all about it, pal. Coming up on the next episode of Off Me Block, Book 3, Done and Dusted, Chapter 6, In Vino Veritas. Now, you're not going to fucking well believe this, but with poor old Infinite out of the picture, and what with the deeds to the gaff still being in both of our names, the house was now mine. I wasn't too keen on taking it on, to be honest with you. Too many bad memories there, you know. But the kids really pushed me hard on it. They couldn't bear to see the house they'd grown up in be sold off to another family. And as I now had a major pain in me hole living in Donny's gaff after a week of them nagging, I finally gave in and told them that I'd move in. Hello, it's Stephen Duffy here. Thanks for joining me on Off My Block. As always, I hope that you're enjoying the show and that you'll join me next week for the next chapter in Tommy's story. You can subscribe to Off My Block for free here on Anchor.fm, Spotify, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.